0: Hey guys, welcome to episode 2 of the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host Chris Desmond. This is a show where we chat with people who have done things or have had ideas that have taken them out of their comfort zones. Then they impart a bit of their wisdom onto us. Today I'm talking with Alex Asher. Alex is an explorer, an entrepreneur and the founder of Moxie Running. Moxie Running is most importantly a movement to inspire confidence in women through running. As part of that mission, Alex has an online running boot camp for women to complete running adventures that they never thought they could. Alex has run all over the world from Norway to Mexico, but he's known for being the first to run and swim down the entire east coast of the North Island of New Zealand. That's the equivalent of 55 marathons in 63 days in the summer of 2011. So Alex and I chat through a few different topics. Talking about looking to find out what his adventure was... Starting out slow with something achievable. We also talk about the importance of doing things that scare you because you're capable of so much more than you realize. Talking about overcoming adversity, coming up against barriers, reassessing and finding new ways to do things. Also talking about the importance of what you do isn't just for yourself. Your actions can have big effects on all of those people around you and being aware of your inner voice and when it isn't talking in your best interests. Now, with the interview, we had a few technical difficulties uh, recording this one, so I want to give a big thanks to Alex for carrying this conversation. So with that out of the way, enjoy our chat. Welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. It's good to good to have you here. Thanks for agreeing to come on. So first of all, I'd like to ask you, you: you ran the entire east coast of New Zealand. What inspired you to do that?
1: Well, at that time, I was I was actually in I was in Germany at the time, and uh, it was actually it was winter uh, when I came up with the the initial initial idea. Of yeah doing something crazy, like uh, running the east coast, but initially i was it was it was actually freezing outside, and it was just white you know it just had those dead clouds and you know the snow was lying on the ground, but I was actually traveling at two hundred kilometers at that stage I was uh driving down the Alterbahn in in Germany, and you know while it just had this this heaviness, I was just feeling like i was I was really stuck I had sort of been wanting to go on an adventure for a long time and and then it's sort of you know as, as a lot of these things do they, they don't almost come they just almost sometimes come out of the blue and and I just had this memory of me talking with these guys who ended up uh crossing crossing the ditch uh kayaking and I thought you know what's my adventure going to be what what's something that I want to do that's gonna really stretch me and grow me and and, and as as you've kind of put, you know, make me feel really uncomfortable for a while. And that was that was running from Cape Branger to Wellington, which was an impossible task for me at the time. Like I I'd sure I'd done a little bit of running here and there and had been a bit of a weekend warrior uh, from time to time. But at that stage, I mean I'd I'd been travelling for six months before that and I was working in Germany and and had done almost no running for like six months. So I kind of got this crazy idea about going on this massive running mission and, and mainly because I thought you know what are what are the things that i'm moderately good at and um and sort of running was sort of one of those natural things where you could combine sort of a, a sporting event and an adventure and the more i you know like after that that initial kind of moment of madness i, I kind of you know drilled into it and and got it got my mind working and and actually, what I did was, was kind of interesting. I, I actually said to myself, if I can run five kilometers for each of the next six days, then maybe I can do more. Maybe I can do this impossible task and run down the, uh, the East Coast. And I had no idea at the time how long that might take me. And it was actually a real moment of clarity. And it was actually an amazing moment when I, I finished that six days and I thought, whoa, okay uh, maybe i can maybe I can do more here now, of course, there were a huge amount of obstacles on the way you know while i 'd done a little bit of running, the idea of running day after day and doing at, at that, actually initially, I thought I was only going to be running uh maybe twenty five to thirty kilometers a day, as it turned out, I ended up running a marathon a day, um, and actually Whoa. at times between uh, 50 to 70 kilometers a day so there was, a, it was actually quite a range and it was again like it's the wonderful thing about doing things that that scare you is that you're actually capable of so much more than you realize but one of the interesting things was I actually injured myself within the first what first month because you know, I, had, I hadn't read anything I was just I had an idea and I wanted to, to see what I was capable of but I, I you know so I, so I started looking at, at a bit of running and I sort of looked at this forefront you know, uh, running style. So I started doing that, and and also jump my my kilometers from you know maybe five kilometers you know every month maybe <laughs> to five kilometers every day at the beginning, which was a lot for me. Um, and actually, I got a terrible um, nerve issue in my uh, left foot. So I had to get orthotics and and kind of go through that pain and still try and keep training and. And so there were a lot of, I guess, difficulties in with that, with that training, but equally it was just magic because I was in Europe at the time. So it was, it was just this, the most incredible place to go exploring. And uh, it was just so beautiful. And even when I, I I ended up leaving my job because that was actually part of it was actually leaving my job, which is again something pretty, pretty uncomfortable. I went on this massive travel, but I was still really disciplined. So every morning I would still get up and go for my, Uh, my 10 or 12 or 15 kilometer run you know at that stage again I was still trying to build up my kilometers and and had no idea really what I was capable of so uh, it was kind of a bit of a uh, just see (laughs) and so I kept on on building up until game day really which was on the 1st of December 2010 and uh, the first day was I, you know, I just still really remember it beautifully. It was just leaving Cape Ranga and the lighthouse there and on a beautiful, quiet dawn. And it was, you know, that, those purple and pink colours and, and it was just dark. and just, It was just really, it was a great way to start. And I was with two of my best friends who were my support crew who were going to meet me from point to point. So I ran around Spirits Bay and, and actually did my first swim as well on that same day, which was to cross, uh, I believe it's called the Parangaranga Harbour, it was beautiful. And again, so, so everything sort of at that start was just exciting. It was beautiful. And um, I was on this incredible adventure and, and had no idea really what I was, what I was really going to be able to, to do. And I think at that stage, I was probably aiming to do maybe like 30 to 35 kilometers, maybe, you know, and just sort of was going to see how I went. Um, and the first two weeks was, I just got better and better. And so I immediately started getting into that, you know, that 40 to 42 kilometer sort of distance and then two weeks in and it was interesting it was and I'll say why it's interesting later but it was I just started getting this this pain in the bottom half of my leg and I was like oh, okay I'll just keep on moving but within within a day I'd gone from running you know strong and and just going for it to just hobbling and I could hardly move because I'd actually as it turned out badly hurt the front of my basically my shin and all the muscles in there. And so what I realized is it actually really hurt my anterior tibialis, and and, uh, I had no idea what that was at the time. Of course, I was just in pain, and and it was red and puffy, and I was like, oh, dear, there's something wrong here. But, you know, I'll just keep on charging through. One of the low points was actually I was trying to hobble up this relatively moderate hill um, just around Whangarei, which is where I'd got to within that, um, that initial two weeks this elderly couple was just browsing, I think looking at houses and they passed me on the hill and I was just like, oh God, this is really not good. And I rung my, actually I had, I still had to swim. So I, I swam Whangarei Harbour that day. Uh, but as soon as I got out of the water, I just realized that, you know, something was really fundamentally wrong. So I went into the local physio there, Ruakaka, and she was, yeah, you know, she correctly diagnosed it pretty quickly. She's like, look, this is what you've done to your to your shin. There's possibly even a stress fracture there. Um, there is nothing we can do. And I was just in shock, you know, because I'd spent a year organizing this massive run and then have somebody suddenly trying to basically tear it down and just say, no, there's really, there's nothing you can do. And of course, at that stage, you know, I was desperate to try anything to actually get it better, but yeah, she just really laid it how it was and I was just distraught and I had no idea what I was going to do. I thought, look, I'll at least stay here for a couple of days and just see if I can rest it off. And sort of woke up the next day with the exact same amount of pain. It was just, it was just dist- soul destroying and I was just in the small little house of a friend and, and in a really bad way. I, I think I went to the, I, I tried acupuncture as well, which is the first time I ever tried acupuncture. But again, you know, it was, it felt like I was, I was out. It was, I mean, there was really just no hope in, in the fact that I couldn't run. But I had a friend who popped in to see me, and we were chatting, and as I say, I was probably, you know, I was pretty, pretty gutted that, that I wasn't going to be able to continue, and he was like, dude, you're going to do a lot of swimming, right? I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, why don't, you, why don't you try just swimming down the coast? And, you know, of course I'd tried to do some swimming along the, the harbors, I hadn't really thought about swimming down the entire, you know, down, down the coast. So uh, he was like, yeah, yeah, look, uh, you know, I can get one of those um, surf lifesaver." He was a surf lifesaver in, in the lo- local place in Waipu, and well, I can get one of those sausage kind of inflatable things. You can just put your foot on that and then just sort of, yeah, just see what distance you can make. At least you're moving forward. And so that's what I did. I, I think the next day I, I hobbled into the water and it was absolutely pouring down with rain. I just remember (laughs) how grim it must have looked. This guy cruising in with this, uh, badly strapped, um, leg and just hobbling in (laughs) about to just see how far I could swim within three days. I'd covered 27 kilometers, I think, which is obviously more than i would ever swum before in my entire life, probably at that stage. Um, I think it's, in training, I'd, I'd planned to, to cross some of the harbors. So sure, I'd, um, I'd maybe done what, like three kilometers or maybe four kilometers. But that was like as far as the harbor was ever gonna, you know, be. So I never worried about it. But I think one day I did eighteen kilometers, and it was basically just swimming the whole day. So that was just massive. But uh, and I actually remember, like, because it was, I'd been swimming the whole day. I think I'd probably done you know, like twelve or. 14k or something like that the last bit which was between waipu and lang's beach and it was sunset and i just checked with the the lifeguards who were just about to leave i was like oh you know how's it going and, um are you guys sticking around and they're like no no we're, we're off but um yeah you can just head around the rocks and so i got on the water and it's just getting dark and but it's beautiful you know sunset and you know i i'd I actually confronted jellyfish along my way. I got stung a few times. Not, not badly, but, you know, those, the jellyfish that have a little bit of sting, so you feel, you know, it's not nice, not pleasant, but it wasn't a big deal. But, uh, so I got in the water anyway, and it was, it was approaching dark. For the first time when I was about, I don't know, 300, 300 metres out from the beach, I just started thinking about sharks, and I just couldn't <laughs> help myself. I was just absolutely petrified all of a sudden I was just feeling like I had this massive panic attack and the water was just getting darker and darker and I kept on looking behind me and just expecting you know something to be on the horizon and there's obviously no one around it was going around a rocky headland by myself almost in the dark and and you could only see that sort of reflective lighting on the top so I was I was just absolutely freaking out but uh, I probably did that 4k and I don't know it was probably my best time because I was just absolutely pacing I think The last bit, I was just sprinting out of the water. But the interesting thing was, so, so I got out of the water then. Now, it wasn't like a miracle at all, but I could start feeling that my leg was actually improving. And my hobble had turned into a painful walk. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is good. <laughs> and so I... I had the next day I had to sort of walk around to Mangawai and then again I could get into the water around the estuary and again swim most of the way and all of that swimming had basically loosened up all the, the muscles in the front of my leg and, and actually had resolved a lot of the problems so from there I was able to sort of hobble along I, I remember having a stick or something like that so I'd like you know knock 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 along the way a bit of a hobbit but then that that hobble went. Yeah, you know, I got rid of the cane and, and could walk, and then that walk got into a jog, and that that jog got into a run. Kind of, you know, and and I was going through beautiful terrain. I was going around. I went around the entire Coromandel, uh, around the entire East Cape. I was going on, certainly not going to down country, and it was just more and more beautiful. But um, at that point, um this is. Probably the the point that I find the harder to talk about in terms of obstacles is that my brother was actually in London before I left training. Um, he was diagnosed with lymphoma cancer. Now this is a guy. Yeah, well, it was it was it was pretty great. And yeah, it was funny because at the time, you know, this is a guy who yeah. you know an older brother who you just look up to as invincible your whole life. He, yeah, you know, I was like, well, he'll just get over it, you know, He'll just, he'll just beat it. You know, he's, he's Johnny; and There's no way that he wouldn't be able to beat this. So, and we sort of talked about it as a family as well, you know, whether I should just stop immediately and, and head hit over, which my family ended up um, doing later in the year. But you know, both he and the rest of the family, when we're talking about it, you know, we wanted to keep on going with this, and as 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 we all thought, you know, he would just be absolutely fine he actually the initial treatment didn't go so well but then he went on a second treatment which was encouraging and it sort of again was when we were you know I'd talk to him quite regularly and we were sort of talking about how I'd go over as soon as I'd done the run and and it was probably going to be February by that stage but I kept on running and again you know I was sort of in in the loop with the family and and actually fortunately for the family you know they had something positive that they could talk about because I was doing this this journey and they were actually in London and, and actually it's really hard when you've got somebody who's, who's really, really ill is they can't do anything and you've got you know, your family all in a really bad headspace, all living in close proximity. And so, uh, that's really, that was really hard for them. But I think fortunately in some ways, you know, like me, I was quite a distraction for everyone because I would basically bring, you know, news stories or, or something that was going on that was sort of positive and wasn't to do with grey, London and, and uh, my brother being really unwell. Uh, I'd sort of kept on going. I think I'd run the end of my six days. So I was six days on running you know, close to 40 to 50 kilometers by that stage. Uh, I think it was a place called River, Riverdale, um, just down in Southern, southern Hawke's Bay. And my dad gives me a call. He gave me the news I'd just never thought would ever, just couldn't even imagine in my life. But um, he said that um, my brother's diagnosis had gone from, you know, optimistic to, to terminal. And so this is me 500 kilometers, I think, away, or, you know, maybe 400, 400 kilometers or something away from, from finishing. Yeah, you know, worst news you could possibly imagine. The, the, the diagnosis not just terminal, but so they were actually going to come home immediately. So they were um, going to get on a flight as soon as they could and then fly back to New Zealand within a couple of days. So I had to figure out what I was going to do. Of course, when you hear something like that, that wasn't just, a, oh, you know, Johnny's just always going to beat it because he's Johnny. You know, that was a point where I was like, what, you know, what do I do? And the only way really to do was was actually to finish, but to finish in a bloody hurry. So yeah. I ended up flagging my rest day and marching on forward, I think. I'd already done my sort of 42 kilometers or something that day, and I think I did another 30 in the evening. I think I probably did you know, 60 or 70 kilometers that day. And I pretty much just had to charge it because I thought if I planned it right, then I could actually finish the day after they arrived. Like, so, so that was my goal. And so I just absolutely motored all the way down the Wairarapa, um, right, right around the coast. Um, the bottom of that uh, peninsula in Naui and, and all of that area in, in, in Wellington, and uh, finished up in Wellington, I think on the 1st or 3rd of, of February in 2011, and then um, my family were there, so my my mum, my, my dad, and my sister had all come down to see me, because they'd just arrived that night before from London, and then we flew all up to, to spend the last couple of weeks with my brother, and that was, and so <laughs> that was... A really, you know, a bit of a a really sad end to also what was a a dramatic expedition and adventure. So, yeah, it was it was a pretty incredible way to finish something that was uh, also something really, really positive. So, yeah, I was sort of, I guess, a little bit caught between something really positive happening and something really, um, really sad. happening.
0: It is. It sounds like a, a really difficult situation. Thanks for thanks for sharing that, Alex.
1: Absolutely
0: and did you did you have a chance to have a chat with your brother about finishing the the length of the north island
1: yeah, I mean what I mean he was couldn't have been more supportive the whole way through I mean that's what Johnny was like. It's just this and actually his finest moments as a human being was in those three weeks, like I've never seen a man that's so strong and so humble and just determined in my life it's just amazing so um, no so he was we, we talked about him. and again I think again it sort of became quite apparent that that was actually really important for, for him and the family not that I just finished but also I think just having something that was a really positive thing that everyone sort of could could kind of gravitate around so yeah no I definitely I mean I had three beautiful weeks with him before he passed on I even got married in that time so it was yeah it was a, it was a powerful and, and a meaningful time but again I, I think I was proudest to to be able to finish that and and certainly finish that before before he passed on so yeah
0: Alex um I'm going to change tack a little bit here I know that you you also spent a little bit of time in Chile as well can you t- tell us about that
1: sure so basically after I finished the run and actually the run was always going to be just a a one off at that time the real adventure was going to start by creating a business that I'd been working on for a long time so the first two years, actually, I'd sort of had a number of different ideas, and, and I'd really tried to to pull them off the ground as a startup. But at, and during that time, I had started uh, my own fitness bootcamp, and I'd been doing that down the road. And that's sort of what gave me an idea, which was around how can I how can I coach my clients and really support my clients when I'm not with them. That started off what will be, I guess, the seed for Moxie Running, which is what I what I'm currently uh, working on. And so I was looking around for how I was going to do this and I'd come across this program called Startup Chile which was uh, pretty unusual since I'd actually spent my fifth year at university over in Chile on exchange. Um, So I heard about this program called Startup Chile and they were Chile was wanting to diversify itself from mining so it was trying to create an innovation hub of South America and so they wanted to actually invite People from around the world that had startup ideas to launch those ideas in Chile, not in like a fixed or permanent way, but you know, basically there was a, a 40,000 US grant um, that they were going to provide if I came over and spent six months with them. So I was like, well, that's like the best deal ever. So I applied with the idea, headed over, and so that was focusing purely on, I guess, getting the initials. The initial project off the ground uh, which wasn't easy as well you know obviously there were some some disadvantages from moving you know across the the world to, to go to Chile to do it but equally just with any business you know there's a lot you need to do and and also you know you make a lot of mistakes that's absolutely one thing you do you make a lot of mistakes and, and I was no different there but it was just an incredible time again full of lots of lots of obstacles but huge amounts of learning and I, I usually find that that's that's always the way. Like, Almost the harder it is, uh, you generally can find something out of it that's, that's really positive because uh, it's something that you'll learn out of it or something that you'll grow from. And that's certainly one thing I believe.
0: Definitely. Those obstacles are always a good challenge and we learn a lot of, a lot of interesting things about ourselves and about what we do from them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Look at any good story. Look at any of the heroes that we, that we admire. They all have serious adversity that they have to overcome. It's something that, even still, while adversity, <laughs> just like it should anyone, you know, like it's a natural thing to be scared of it, uh, it's really important to, to remember that we, we admire adversity and, and we always tend to find our best selves when we're actually exposed to it. So I definitely agree with that.
0: So, Alec, can you tell me about a time that you've failed? And, and what you learned from that, I think that's a good way to go on from from what you've just talked about there.
1: Sure. <laughs> yeah, I've failed a lot. <laughs> i failed a lot. Um, my first two years uh, trying to start a business, I think I failed the whole time, but I learned a ton from it. So I actually quit my job, not only for this, for this run, that was going to be the first adventure. The second adventure was to, to start a business. And in those first two years, I think I had... You know, the, and I and I had this idea. I was like, ah, oh, you know, I'm gonna quit my job and it's gonna be awesome. Within six months it was quite clear not only did I not have a business, but it was gonna be completely unviable and there was not really any way that I could kind of pursue with it. And even subsequently, you know, I've had plenty of other experiences where I've been really confronted with, with failure and, and it, it's still it's still hard. And and with my current business there are still aspects of things that I, I get wrong there are aspects of my character or my, the qualities of my character that I doubt on occasion, and I need to constantly affirm that I have what it takes to be successful. So I think with all of these failures that I've had, uh, as I say, I no I've had a lot of failures with, with business. Uh, each one of them teaches you a little bit, and I think each one gets you a little bit close to where you where you need to be in terms of finding that bounce and finding that internal bounce because you can't always rely on other people to put you back, uh, back on your feet. You've just got to lift yourself up and, and keep marching forward. So I think failure is, is, is always part of that. And I'm sure there's a quote that's, it's, but it's, it's close to basically the line between success and failure is, is almost the same, you know, like there is if, if you're running you're going the same line. If if you're failing a lot, then odds are there's also a, a good chance that you'll succeed. But uh you can't do things that are really inspiring or or extraordinary without putting yourself against failure.
0: No, you definitely can't if you're if you're staying in your comfort zone.
1: Yeah, well, we just don't grow in our comfort zone. It's, it's not where we are, where we find it. you know like that that's where we that, that's plateau that's that's all we'll find there <laughs> more and more plateaus so we have to expose ourselves to failure and and the upside of that which is which is growth
0: definitely now Alex what was the last thing that you did that made you feel uncomfortable
1: to be fair I'm constantly uncomfortable uh in business. And actually one of the the terms that they they often say is, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. With my business I've had to change that and and maneuver that, which has often me often put me in places where I felt like I haven't been using my traditional strengths. So a good example of that is when I went over to Startup Chile, the the concept was actually to create a software for other health coaches to be able to coach their clients online. Last year I had to make a really big call which was I wasn't really getting much traction with that particular part of the the industry and also I had I have a strong opinion around coaching and particularly around habits and how important habits are and that's one of the the things I've done probably most of my research on is is been on mindset and also how do we create habits that stick. So the software that I was creating for coaches, as I say, was relatively opinionated to to be helping clients develop these habits. But in any case, um, I wasn't getting traction with personal trainers who uh, maybe didn't think like me, but also there wasn't a strong need for them to go online. I, I think probably time will... Push more and more trainers towards creating more online solutions because I think people are really time poor and they can't always get to a physical location. So I think time will come up with that. But I, I had to make a call to go from a B2B business. So business to business, selling a software to personal trainers, which was my, which had become my comfort zone to going really outside my comfort zone, which was putting myself in front of people for the first time and going direct to consumers or to customers. And not just be looking at general fitness, but using running as as my channel because that's something I've found, and as you can tell by the story I was I was mentioning before. You know, like running is just this incredible activity. It's really like no other because you can combine adventure, exploring getting headspace finding that sense of freedom getting escape from the city and, and all of those things through running and so i had to bottle all of that and then not just sell my software the software is now just part of my offering and i had to change myself from being a quiet guy in the in the corner trying to create a software to putting myself out there as the frontman for the business which was it's really it's scary yeah. it is cuz the whole time you're also in you can be judged, you know. And if you're honest about it, you can be judged about. People don't agree with you all the time. People make assumptions about you, or, or maybe they they might place doubts on on why you do what you do. So, so there's a whole lot of stuff that you're exposed to when you put yourself out there as a a coach or an expert or and and my expertise around habits and running and even mindset that are really challenged when you do that. So. Yeah, hugely uncomfortable, but uh, also really, really rewarding. I'm just loving being able to own the whole experience and also be so connected with with customers that I can help. So there I am.
0: Awesome. That that's fantastic. And it's really it can be really hard to silence that negative uh, inner voice that you have when people when you're getting feedback that isn't always the best, and when you're continually questioning yourself.
1: Absolutely. I mean that. That inner voice, man, if you can control that, the world's your oyster. And it's funny, like, that's obviously something that I've had to deal with. I mean, that's what that that run was about. I, I can't remember, but, I mean, I, th- I think, I mean, I ran, what, 2,300 kilometers down the East Coast. I think that would, you know, it's millions of steps, millions of steps. And that's also, like, millions of times that you're also possibly saying, oh, sh-, you know, can you do this? You know, when I was injured, you know, like, People are saying no, you can't, and you're just gonna like no, I, I, I can keep on going. And with this business, the same thing, you know, it's just you're constantly that, that that inner voice doesn't stop, even even as you go forward. You just get better at dealing with that. So I, that's certainly something I found. And again, when it comes to running, that's what I love about it is it's it's more about mindset than anything. It's that whole time you're just you're having to confront that inner demon and win. <laughs> It's yeah. cold outside, it's wet, you know, it's dark. <laughs> it's, oh, I'm a bit tired, it's stressful. Oh, I've got this thing, I don't want to do it. You know, all of those things happen all the time. That's what I, I think is so powerful about exercise and why you see so many benefits, whether it's running or not, but just when people are faced with adversity and then they have to, to overcome that, that inner voice.
0: Do you have any tips other than exercise for quietening the inner voice?
1: I do for running and I, I, I came up with it because I was confronted with it myself. Um, that was actually the wonderful thing about going back into running and turning from a selling to personal trainers to, to actually focusing on running. Is I actually became a beginner runner again because you know, I hadn't been running very much at all for a while. I noticed that when I was going at the start of the run, you're know, you just absolutely confronted with that inner voice, that internal chatter, giving you all of those reasons why you could be doing something else. Funnily enough, for me, running is actually the reason that I, I think running is actually a really strong tip around silencing it. If you focus all of your attention on that first couple of minutes, almost like a mantra and you just chant it in your head, a positive thought or a quality that you want to establish in yourself. So for me, on the particular instance that I'm thinking of, I was wanting to get better at following my own or eating my own dog food, as they say, or, or following my own principles. So I was just saying, you know, be the change that you want to see in the world. You know, be the change, be the change. And so by repeating in my head, I was actually able to not silence, but it's I think more about overpowering or, or, or amplifying your own, you know, positive voice over that negative chatter. So I think that's the way to kind of approach it is, is how can you overwhelm that, that inner voice? And I think particularly you just can't give it an inch. If you kind of, as soon as you're aware, like you've got to be really aware of that, in, that inner voice, but you just can't give it a, a little moment because it just builds up momentum. So, again, as soon as you hear that internal chatter, you've got to be like reaction straight away. And you don't have to be aggressive in your mind, you know, but you just need to acknowledge what thing that internal voice that's been going on. And I think be really confident and strong with, like, no, this is that, that, and that's not helpful. This is what I'm focusing on. And really own, own your own thought space.
0: Yeah, and, and sometimes I think you have to act your way into the right way of thinking rather than trying to think your way into the right action.
1: Yeah, I think there's absolutely – so I think action often precedes confidence. You've actually got to take action and then almost like justify it backwards. <laughs> that's generally how, how you have to go. So, And I think that's what I did with the run. I think that's what I would always encourage people to do is, you know, if you're worried about something, if you're you're scared, don't wait until you feel confident. You have to act, and that action will often inspire the confidence you need to get there. Awesome.
0: Alex, I'm going to change tack again. So you've talked a little bit about the business that you're doing at the moment, so Moxie Running. What is Moxie Running, and, and how did the idea come about?
1: So Moxie Running came about because... As I say, I was at a point with the software where I had this beautiful software and app and basically a window to be for, for coaches to be able to coach their clients online and, and actually provide what I thought was, was missing, which was personal accountability and human personal accountability because I think what I was seeing in the market well, a lot of apps that were coming about, but while they were good at tracking things, firstly... They gave almost too much data, which becomes quite overwhelming and I think can put people in a almost like either paralysis or they just become almost obsessive about the data and kind of and become a slave to it. So I was looking at, hey, you know, and that's what the software is about, you know, simplifying things down and, and providing personal accountability. Moxie Running came about because I, again, had to look inside, you know, I wasn't. The angle that I'd been pursuing wasn't working, and I had to do something quite radical to change that. So Moxie Running was basically me combining my passion for running and what running can do for people. Also having the confidence that I actually built a beautiful product to actually be that engine. For me, I've just always had a, a really strong mission to help as many people as I can find their own you know, best self or, and really impact humanity really in a, in a really positive way. So instead of just thinking in a smaller way, like how do I coach people, I wanted to think in a bigger way. But like, how can I how can I shift people, and particularly, how can I help the people that aren't runners? How can I help the people that are at the start of their journey? Because those are the people that need the most help. Not not the people that are, I guess, you know, running day to day and being able to track their progress and seeing if they're getting their personal best. I think running allows you to get your personal best in terms of it. It's a really personal thing, but it's it's, it's got to be accessible and, and so I, I saw a really big opportunity to help particularly women who again I, I really noticed had a massive a much more obvious and significant confidence gap to really use running as a way of building and, and, and squeezing that that confidence gap so that they can actually achieve a lot more in other parts of their lives and uh, if i'm when i'm talking about moxie running, I often say, you know my mission is is about inspiring women to achieve and complete running adventures they never thought they could. So it really sort of fits in uh, with my, my passion, uh, my product, and my experience. Uh, and that's how Moxie Running began.
0: Awesome. And where do you want to go with Moxie Running?
1: Look, there are, there are millions of particularly women out there that wanting to make a change in their lifestyle and they don't know how to start or, or how to go about it. I think running is again one of those amazing things because you can have, I mean, many of your audience would have have seen or, or heard of different events around the place. But you know, you get tens of thousands of people, or even just you know, fifty people, but they turn up to a running event, and it's an event for them. And so I want to be able to help women around the world find their own adventures, um, achieve them, and use those use those wins as, I guess, a marker for a real shift in uh, improving their own lifestyles, improving their confidence. And again, it's just such a massive shift when they get that one piece of their life right. You'll often see just monumental shifts in in all those other parts of life that are attached. So that's where I want to go is how can I help impact the, the health of humanity?
0: Cool, that's awesome. And there's so many transferable skills uh, that you can take from running and apply them to to other areas.
1: I wouldn't be talking about it so passionately if I didn't fundamentally believe that running is the best metaphor for life.
0: Alex, what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do?
1: Oh, good question. So for me, as I say, I live in the uncomfortable world. (laughs) I live in it because uh, business is constantly uncomfortable. And so for me, I think is, Getting better and more comfortable, uh, as I say, this is really uncomfortable for me now, but uh, getting more comfortable with being uh, the real me through the way that I present myself in the business as well. I think being a bit more me uh, when it comes to the way I, I write and the way I talk um, and the way I can present that um, as a story. Again, when, you're, when you become the front person for a, a business that's uh, like Moxie Running, you have to... Yeah, walk the walk and, and also show people a little bit more into your life, which I've always been relatively private. So that's, that's one thing that I find you know uncomfortable. But again, I think the more I do it, the less I have to worry about it. I feel actually really authentic and, and good about it. So that's kind of where I fit. Yeah, I'll, I'll actually go on to that because I haven't actually decided on this, Chris. So I'll give it to you just in case it works out that I've um, announced it by the time you uh, publish this yeah um, so the next uncomfortable decision i have to make is am i going to make the return trip back so from wellington to cape Ranger, this time not around the east coast but up the west coast which is a really wild and exposed but beautiful place it's going to be really challenging particularly being able to get coastal access on a lot of really remote places and the weather and terrain being just so much more rugged than the east coast so and then on top of that, there's some pretty gnarly harbours that I'd need to cross uh, swimming, uh, including the, the Kaipara and, and a few other, uh, the Manukau, uh and there's a few others. So I guess that's, that's something that's making me seriously uncomfortable, but seriously excited for the end of the year.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, that definitely sounds uncomfortable. Uh, so Alex, uh, where can we find you online?
1: So just, uh, come to my, uh, just visit me on my website. Uh, it's moxierunning.com. M-O-X-I-E-E. Now, just so you know, uh, Moxie is actually an American slang term. It, it means courage in the face of adversity, It's determination. You know, it's, it's guts, and so that's what that's what I like to inspire. And and so it's moxyrunning.com dot com.
0: Thanks, Alex. So I just Go want ahead. to say thanks for uh, thanks for sharing and and thanks for all your all your insights. They're, they've been really incredibly valuable. And definitely, if you're uh, if you're doing the Return journey Wellington to to Cape Reinga and need someone to to run a little bit with you around Wellington. I'd be uh, more than up for the adventure.
1: <laughs> that sounds awesome. I'll need a guide. I have no idea what I'm going to find down there. It's, it's again going into the unknown for me. So yeah, there's there's a lot of there's some exciting stuff ahead. So thanks again, Chris, and and uh, I wish absolutely all the best as well.
0: Cool. Thanks very much for your time, Bye, Alex. Mate. The uh, guys. That's episode two with Alex Asher from Moxie Running. As I said at the start, we had a couple of technical difficulties. Um, Alex couldn't really hear me, so it was awesome of him uh, really kind of carrying the conversation and uh, bits of a monologue in places, but that that was cool. It was great to hear what Alex has been up to and what he's planning on doing in the future. I definitely got a couple of things out of that, so hopefully you did as well. So... If you're liking what you're hearing, or if you're not liking what you're hearing, give me a bit of feedback. You can reach out to me on Facebook, at OK, on Instagram, at OK, or flick me an email, UncomfortableIsOK at gmail.com. It'd be cool if you could head over to iTunes, subscribe to the show, leave a comment, and share this episode out with uh, the people that you think might be interested in, in it. Again, I want to give a big thanks to everyone that's helped me bring this uh, idea to life. It's been great to have all your support uh, on, the, on the way through. Really want to thank, again, my brother Jeremy Desmond for his musical talents. Uh, head over to Facebook, find him Jeremy Desmond Music. And again, I'll leave you with the full version of the uh, song that he's written for the show. Talk to you about uncomfortable things next time.